Zafia, uh, please describe your path to innovation and digital world and your background. I currently live in the uh, UK, but um, I moved here through New York and Amsterdam. Uh, so there has been a little bit of traveling, but uh, I'm, I'm very Eastern European at heart, <laughs> in a way. Um, I graduated uh, from a um, uh, business university, so I have a master in business, and I focused on the people side of organizations uh, when writing my thesis, and that was my main focus of study. So how do people collaborate together, organizational behavior, organizational culture, communication, teaming, leadership topics, so the, the people topic was very much in the middle of my heart. And to be honest, at that time, if somebody would have asked me, were you interested in technology or IT, I would have said a strong no. Um, the whole coding world, everything just didn't seem interesting um, at that time. So after I graduated, I went into human resources jobs, uh, as you would imagine, with that background. So the first four or five years of my career were mainly in um, operations or no side of, of human resources and a little bit of talent management. But what I found is I found those jobs mainly in technology companies somehow. Uh, so I worked for companies like Booking.com, for example, which had a very innovative culture, but also a startup. And so I had to collaborate with more and more technology people and learn their language and speak their language. And also I had this mindset that I constantly wanted to improve stuff out was done. Uh, so I, I found myself getting involved more and more um, improvement projects and I really liked that uh, environment. Um, so after four or five years I decided that I wanted a career change and, um, and I applied for a consulting job um, here in London with a technology consulting firm uh, with the focus on human resources technologies. So basically they were really kind, they, they taught me technology um, and how to configure HR systems and how to, to implement them. Um, and what I brought to the table from the other side was the knowledge of how human resources processes work and uh, I could talk to the clients easily. Through that, um, I learned much more about tech suddenly um, and I realized that that's not rocket science and, and configuring some of these systems don't need coding experience. You don't need to be an engineer. Either. It's, it's a very hands-on skill that you can actually learn on the job. And I got more and more involved in it. So the last seven years, basically, I spent in this um, tech space. And three years ago, I just decided to apply for an internal uh, position, um, an internal secondment, which started with a one year opportunity to uh, to project manage and at the setup of, um, of a little automation factory inside our company. Um, and that initial one year eventually ended up by now more than three. And, and the team uh, that was initially 10 people grew to 40. And, and uh, starting from the small quick wins at the beginning, now we are managing a 10 million plus portfolio. So it has grown out of proportion, but it was a long learning, like interesting learning curve and, and really enjoyed the journey. And I see myself in this space now going forward. Yes, uh, the the only thing, uh, like not the only, but a very difficult and complicated thing around this uh, technology background and sphere to, to get involved is also to get involved into transformation of different uh, corporations to to more digital world. From my perspective, it, it is even a more complicated task uh, for anybody who is involved in in such kind of uh, job or work uh, 
because it means that um, you should like uh, analyze the current situation or previous situation of the company find out some weaknesses and mm -hmm. then you know not to crash anything and to, to yeah. in order to start <laughs> from scratch but to transform how do you feel about this in our um, job obviously um uh, EY has strong, like, um, strong methodologies that have been developed over the course of many, many years, um, and they are constantly evolving. And when you, when you join an organization like that, you learn those, those methods and, and you build on those. So you apply those with clients and that's why clients are paying us because they know that there is that know-how. Uh, in the company when when somebody tries to do this in their own company internally that that um, that has the disadvantage of not having this full organizational background behind them on the other hand they know the their their business much better right so consultancies when they when they enter a client side they first need to learn the business they need to understand the current state people who work in this business often see it from internally and they intrinsically just see some of the problems already there yeah so i most most of these large transformation projects therefore combine like a mix of mix of teams so there is always an internal team as well who has the internal know-how and there is the consulting team and and ideally you work uh, in close collaboration together um and that's a, that's a, an easy way to to um, have a successful project. So from your uh, pro like professional expert background, uh, why it's so hard to build and maintain the capacity to innovate for corporations, for big companies? There are usually uh, different blockers and different companies struggle with different things. Um, I would like to call out three things that, that I consistently see and, and um, uh, experience in, in different uh, positions as well. Um, first of all, there is human psychology. So when but people just don't like change, right? So when when we feel like there is a pressure or there is uh, there is a danger coming at us, then we move at pace and then we can solve problems and we, we go forward, charge forward. But as soon as we, we feel comfortable and we feel safe, we slow down. That that happens in corporations as well. So when you feel like the competition is really high, then then the organization is constantly looking for new ways of doing things, cutting costs, in, improving revenues, and you're constantly trying to get better because you know that you might be beaten on the market. When you get to a point that you're a comfortable leadership position or you have a safe space on the market, and they're not actively challenging you, then then things slow down. Um, it's just human nature. Um, so we constantly need to find ways of doing against this and, and uh, challenging ourselves internally. And that, that's a hard thing. Um, so that's a cultural thing, one. The other thing is um, these, these I, I see siloed behaviors in, in, in certain companies that uh, we think that innovation or technology uh, or digital is, is the job of a certain team, right? So innovation, the management team should be thinking about it. Or we have a research department, a research and development department. It's their job to come up with the new thing. I'm just doing my job the way how I was told to do. Or there are people on the, um, who, who are doing the job and they come up with ideas and, and they get shut down because we say, no, that's not your job to think about this. We're already considering it elsewhere. So that this siloed behavior actually 
limits the, all the opportunities. If you think about these large companies have thousands or 10,000s of employees, all of them are smart people, they have brains, right? If you could have a way of tapping into all of those brains, then, then you have a, a much bigger um, platform to build on rather than just putting all of your trust into a 50 people research department. That's suboptimal. And then the third thing is, um, is, is, is investment. What I find is that finding new products is a long-term investment. So a lot of initiatives on the go will fail. Um, and sometimes it takes years to actually get a breakthrough. Throughout that time, um, there will be always other business priorities that seem to deliver quicker benefits or higher benefits. And so the funding will get reprioritized. And um, that's why it's so much easier when you talk about innovation, it's always easier to get funding for short-term quick wins. So for example, quick, automation for quick cost cutting uh, you you you're you have a much easier business case there than when you're trying to invest into long-term research right but actually the success needs a balanced portfolio so you need to have projects in your innovation portfolio that deliver the quick wins to keep up the pace and and uh, make people believe in that it's working uh, and you also need to have the long-term thinking and um and companies uh, often struggle with that. Exactly. It's a good point that you mentioned investment. First of all, I would like to re reflect uh, all these three pillars and points. Uh, of course, uh, every company, each of the company, uh, like recently, uh, during the last 12 months, have faced uh, this, is new, this new challenge and almost all of them, I mean, a lot of companies and corporations, they faced this challenge, no matter which position they actually um, placed before the pandemic they uh, had to you know rethink uh, the future the way they will, uh, will be delivering their goods and services to their clients in the future and for many of them it is considered that innovation is expensive that it requires mm. massive investments and sometimes, uh, you know, when a lot of companies are trying to make the decision based on data, they could, uh, you know, come up with a strange uh, result that innovations mm -hmm. <laughs> get um, these massive investments and uh, like uh, would make uh, some leaders to postpone them. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? There is way ways of making it cheaper. Uh, and there are certain initiatives um, that can make it cheaper or at least make people more comfortable with the investment. So uh, one concept I would like to bring up is, is Agile um, and this whole mindset of doing things iteratively. In innovation, if, if um, instead of looking at projects as a large multi-year investment, uh, which you will only find out at the end whether you succeeded or not. Obviously, that way it's a really scary business. If you find a way of, of breaking that down into smaller chunks and potentially deliver like test concepts or prototype concepts uh, with cheap materials just to see how customers react, then you can have early feedback about and a sense whether it has at all the potential to succeed at the end, right? And you didn't really invest much at that stage yet. 
um, then you could move on to a little bit more and, and, and build a minimum viable product, something really simple. Obviously, it depends on what kind of uh, business you are in and, and what production means for you, because in a knowledge-based business, maybe it's, it's changing business processes or things like that in, in, a, in a production business. Building up a whole production line is obviously super um, expensive. Um, but, um, but the trick is to find uh, quick and easy ways of uh, testing whether it would work on the market, get immediate real feedback from customers that they're clicking the buttons that they want to buy it, and then invest because then you're, you know that the risk is much smaller. So instead of looking at it as a very risky, huge investment, multi-year project, you need to find a way of chunking it down, making it quick, very cheap, and, and then make the decision based on actual customer um, uh, response and data. Uh, whether you're going to make that investment or not. And in that case, it's, it's, a, it's a much more certain ROI uh, at the end of the day. So the trick is that iterative thinking rather than uh, planning five, ten years ahead. Yes, interesting, interesting opinion. And I'm putting myself into the position of those uh, female leaders who are participating in our innovation lab. They have this, uh, you know, opinion or uh, intention to get in the into the innovation process they're ready to you know defend like somehow expenses and a budget for um, investment for innovation and uh, they would face this pragmatic question uh, whether the innovation would uh, lead us to success, lead us as a company to success or to failure. Since, for example, uh, we at Imaguru, at the company which uh, uh, initiated this project, we understand that innovation uh, is all about failures, losses and new experiences which lead us in the end uh, into the success. But it's, uh, I could imagine how difficult and complicated for innovative leaders is to uh, explain, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, this concept, uh, yeah, yes. the concept to, to the bosses. Uh, how do you feel? Who would choose whether those innovation is successful or not? And this is something that that I have faced a lot, uh, my, yeah, myself as well. I think uh, you know, in large traditional corporations, there is that the the, the culture usually, or often uh, rather, creates a situation that it is hard to say out loud when something fails. And it causes a bigger problem actually than saying it loud out loud that it failed. Uh, what it causes is that um, companies keep on investing in things that uh, that are not going to make money anymore because it's unacceptable to stand up and say we should stop this. Um, and that that is actually the biggest risk. The, the the real risk is not really the the small initial investment if you manage to chunk it up into small enough pieces. You, but people need to be brave enough and the, the culture needs to be created as such that people can stand up after that small initial investment and say, okay, this didn't work, we need to change something or we need to try something else. So actually, I think top, top management can um, reduce uh, the unnecessary costs by allowing people to, to acknowledge failure 
and to make it okay. Uh, but it is not a it is not an easy job. It's not a, a, a one one day change um, because it's a, it's a culture cultural shift. But what you can try is to try to make that change in your own um, organizational area or in your team. To to start uh, with an example. Um, and um, and if you manage to create a team around you um, that know that they can be honest with you and they can uh, tell you when something is not working, um, then that will uh, create that example um, and, and first of all can make your losses smaller, uh, but also it will trickle down that um, on the longer run um, that, that kind of behavior and, and will set that example for others outside as well. Uh, but it is it is a, a it is a longer process. Yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, we are coming to our topic, actually topic of the interview. But of course, <laughs> uh, it doesn't mean that we didn't face any of the aspects of uh, innovation strategy. But if we're talking about the innovation strategy, what should it include? Who should be responsible for which part strategy and how it's built? I think uh, the, the way how you, you need to start is you need to understand your, um, ideally, your business strategy. So what you're actually on the market, um, you're trying to achieve, uh, what are your targets and, and where do you see yourself in the next um, five, ten years. From that business strategy, then, then you will see, you can ask the questions, um, what, what do we need to do towards the market? Um, what are the areas where we need to find new ways of uh, creating revenue, new products, new business models? Um, so what are the areas of our business where we see that opportunity? And internally, what are the areas that are just not supporting that ambition? Because currently we are doing things the old way, the uh, manual way, the slow way. Where can we improve to support that um, ambition going forward? So that's more of a, an internal operational view. If, if you read articles, um, some um, on, on, um, uh, on the internet, um, that, that focus on innovation. A lot of them um, just focus on product innovation or, or the market-facing side of things. Uh, the internal, um, the internal uh, things you could call them continuous improvement. Um, I like to look at it in in a in a more holistic way and the two together because one goes against the other one. If you uh, want to put a new product to the on the market, then often you need to rethink how you're doing things internally. Um, and also while you're thinking about new products, in the meantime, you could be um, innovating in-house as well. So um, I think it's worth looking at both um, angles. So this way you can, you can um, identify what are the target areas where, where you're trying to innovate. Um, and then you need a process um, in your strategy of how to get there. What we are using um, is, is, a, is a funneled process. So you could say you first ideate, then you test those ideas, then you develop them, um, then you deploy them or sell them or embed them in your business, whatever, whatever the idea is about. And in each of these phases, you, you go iteratively. So it's, it's not just a one-way street. You ideate, test, you realize something is not working, then you go back to the drawing board, you ideate a little bit more again, or 
you have deployed a tool as a minimum product, then you go back and you come up with new features for it and you go through the funnel again. So it's, it's, it's constant iteration, it's a never ending process. It's not one of those things that you have a start and an end and then you're completed and done. Uh, but on high level, that's, that's, that's uh, the, the process that you can think about and you can consider this as a funnel. So uh, in IDA phase, you need a lot of ideas, right? You need to, um, uh, evaluate them based on some framework that you have set up um, and then you pick some of them that you test in action um, and then the successful tests then go into development. The, the way how you look at it is, is you have more stuff and then you have less and less and that means that on, on, on the go you obviously there will be things failing but that's a good thing because at the end you don't want uh, the same amount of products as the amount of ideas you have put the funnel at the beginning um, so that's on that's on high level and and once you have a strategic view obviously you need to figure out how to operationalize it so then you need your your systems and processes and teams in place and and you need to put it in action and there are multiple um, methods or tools that that you can um, that you can consider it all depends on what your end goals are so everything starts with it has to start with your business strategy that was my next question about linking those strategies and yeah you're absolutely right that uh, we should uh, start from business strategy and then to follow that when we put some uh, business uh, targets or uh, goals we uh, um, have a sp specific you know path to uh, uh, to implement it when we uh, adapt our culture, uh, we build specific teams, we uh, somehow implement or like uh, create new new lines, new processes, etc. Et mm. And uh, yes, and actually this is all about innovation because you innovate, you create something new, you change, you create new cultures. And frankly saying, when uh, we are talking with uh, big corporations and for them it's a little bit uh, frustrated or even, uh, you know, the topics uh, sometimes scare them, especially, for example, a banking system. Okay. This banking is all about security, you know, yes. uh, being very <laughs> able. <laughs> and when someone suggests something new, this is all about, you know, the creation yeah. of the all the processes and it could cause security and, um, and different troubles. But actually they're building, they're changing uh, every time their processes and uh, uh, innovation should be like a routine, not something very unusual of for yes short period of time <laughs> no i agree it's it's an interesting one that you raised there with the with the banking systems and and uh, and um you know the, the the being scared of the risk i think this is this is part a little bit what i mentioned at the beginning those silos right so you need people who are responsible for driving it i think innovation so if you really want to create pace and and uh, push things forward you do need people whose whose job is to actually manage these things but you cannot uh, do innovation in a silo team without talking to the rest of the 
the organization because then as soon as you're trying to put something in practice like what you mentioned um, banking systems and change something it will fall down so you need to bring the whole um, organization with you and if you know that what you're trying to innovate is is IT systems or will, then then it will involve information security people it will involve uh, those people who are administering the current architecture um, and the current system landscape uh, so you need to take them with you uh, through the thinking journey um, and they need also need to be able to give their input and collaboration early on in the process so it is really key to almost like map out who are your stakeholders, who are the ones who down the line will be able to block what you're trying to do, bring them on early and have those conversations with them, share with them what you're trying to do, get their input, um, look at them as SMRs who can, who can actually teach you something about their field and they will appreciate that as well as um, you, can, you can take all that knowledge and, and feed it into the project early on, which will make it more successful anyway. So um, look at it as a collaborative um, effort rather than something in a, in a siloed team that, that just a few people do. And, and that will increase the chances of actually at the end uh, it's happening. Excellent. And uh, it's so good that uh, you, you were talking about uh, humans, uh, human resources. Uh, because of course, like we said, and we're raising new innovative leaders uh, through our program, through our Innovation Lab uh, by Women program. Uh, we would like to um, ask you, uh, which skills do those people who drive innovation possess? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, we assume whether you agree with us or not, that uh, the skills uh, those skills are different from uh, the leaders who were driving innovation before the pandemic time. It's a really timely question, isn't it? So in order to uh, drive successful innovation, I think you need a broad range of skills. You need subject matter experts in the things you're trying to change. So you need to understand how things are done now um, and um, what is the best practice out of there on the market and, and um, what you're trying to achieve. But you also need uh, to understand the potential technologies um, that you can use. So um, tech knowledge. Also agile project management is really helpful uh, because as I said, you need either, the more iterative and the more small chunks you can do, the better chances you have that actually it's going to work and, and you will deliver some outcomes. And other agile related skill sets like design thinking, for example, very helpful um, to, to facilitate that conversation and that design process. Um, and obviously you need to understand businesses and finance, to understand what the financial outcomes, return on investment will be on, on the whole thing. This might sound scary <laughs> because this is a lot, but it's not, it doesn't have to be. Um, what I would recommend is look at it as a team, team play. From, from my angle, when, when I got into this space, I, I met that what I, I can do, what I'm good at, um, and, um, and also what the team around us uh, was good at um, and, and you need to identify a team that can um, complement you. So um, if you're not a tech person, then um, you, you do need to 
um, learn a little bit, read a little bit, but you don't need to become an engineer. You just need to make sure that the team in, team has um, those engineers um, in uh, in it uh, who can advise you on certain topics and, and they can talk you through stuff. Um, or if um, if you're not a finance expert, um, then you can get tips and tricks from your finance colleagues and, and you just need to work closer with them. So um, you, need, you need to be open to, to learn uh, pieces and stitch the pieces together if you are the, leading the initiative. But the best um, uh, strategy, I think, is just to assemble a team that's, that covers all of these aspects that's broad enough and diverse enough that, that you get the right inputs at the right time from all of these angles. Yes, exactly. And uh, when I was listening to you, I was also trying to put myself into the position of any leader. And it is considered that technology is um, is a man world. And mm. it is sometimes like not very much exciting for women or understandable and um, yes you mentioned a very interesting point if you are inside the team and if you have those communicative uh, bridges which actually could bridge the gap in mm. understanding a, a, like any specifics mm. uh, but uh, like thanks to the mass media thanks to the society uh, in the interest from the society uh, part to the technologies uh, thanks to uh, the thanks to the situation when technology is available through smartphones different devices different uh, you know a very simple and user experience and other uh, good practices you you can uh, um, understand um, and implement and you know drive any technologies or any solutions that you feel important to mm -hmm. implement in, in your sphere and I, I always like this this discussion around the intuition like intuition mm. is becoming a brand new skill for new leaders mm. uh, because it helps to uh, you know to be in the right time in the right place <laughs> when it's needed for your company and uh, from my personal opinion intuition is all about uh, your professional this is like um, a skill that you uh, you have if you are very professional if you are deep in the domain because your brain is working like <laughs> Yeah, you see every like any like in uh, several steps before. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. Um, uh, intuition is is definitely a useful one, and and um, and as I said, like knowing your um, knowing your subject matter is half of the half of success, like half of the story. I I can give some very personal advice to those who are um, who are a bit more uh, scared or feel a bit remote of the tech uh, tech area, uh, because I've been myself in those shoes as well. A few things that helped me a lot. One is I I had I realized um, as a consultant um, when when I started my my consulting journey 
um, that very often because I had the subject matter background and I was sitting on these meetings with, with clients um, and with, with my technology uh, focused colleagues, I find myself in a, in a role that I could describe as a translator. Mm -hmm. So I um, uh, understood uh, what both sides were saying um, and for this I didn't have to um, didn't have to be able to code or do the technology job. I just had to be able to listen attentively and understand what are the what are the concerns that they are raising, what are the questions and rephrase some of those questions to um, to my client's language. Um, and I'm not talking about English to Hungarian, I'm talking about tech to tech to HR. <laughs> um, and, um, and it was a really interesting experience because actually you don't need to be the one who is the deepest expert in the room. If you have that uh, natural skill of, of communication and understanding and asking questions, um, then you can easily um, uh, add really, really high value to these meetings by just basically translating uh, between the parties because deep experts often have the problem of not understanding the, the, the subject matter or the other way around and, and, and that communication can fail and a lot of projects actually suffer from that problem. So that's, that's one um, and I think uh, especially a leader in, in, um, uh, in a room um, in project situations like that can definitely add a lot of value through that process. The other thing is um, that while back in the days, um, definitely when I graduated, technology was something that you needed to be a coder um, to call yourself a technologist because the only way of actually modifying systems was to write code. These days a lot of these systems um, that, that we are working with or that large companies are using, um, uh, they, they are not coded um, definitely on, on, on your side, um, but uh, configured. And the difference between the two is configuration is literally settings, tick boxes, mm -hmm. or drop-down menus. So you don't anymore need to write the code. You can pick options of what the system should do by just selecting a, something from a drop-down menu. So actually what you need to learn is just the logic of how the system works. You don't need to read the code. Um, and that brings it much closer to the end user. So now end users who have an understanding about the business process uh, can, can easily with a, with a very uh, simple training course or a few hours of learning or just something sitting down next to them and show, showing them how to do it can actually modify these things. So it is not anymore um, that, that, um, that engineering level uh, of knowledge that is needed in, in order to uh, be able to work with technology. Um, it's much, much easier than that or much, it brings it much closer to us. And also I'm thinking that all those skills, uh, the capability to listen to others, to like translate, like you mm -hmm. said, this is a very female, forgive me, man, <laughs> if <laughs> can't, uh, listening to this interview, but this is very uh, typical for women. Uh, to be those uh, like translators between like to uh, decrease the number of conflicts or uh, try to you know 
uh, join different uh, different sites and uh, be communicative. And also another very important skill, which is related to that, to that is empathy, to like understand each other and to, to get deep into the understanding of um, values and needs of the clients or departments or, or, or like some specialists who are deploying all these changes and it's also very very uh, this is more important than um, gaining uh, some specific techno technology mm. skills or like code or you know blockchain mm. or other very specific technology that empathy is actually a really interesting thought because um often i don't know whether whether you heard that um uh, ford um said that if if i asked my um if i asked people what they wanted they would have said faster horses what uh, what he was trying to say with that is customers don't always know uh, what they really need, and the best solution to to go around that or to actually solve that problem is is this typical ask the question why at least five times in a row. So if a client says I want X, then you ask the question why do you want that, then they say something else and why do you want that. So you really drill down the root cause of what the problem is. And once you have arrived to the root cause of the problem, then you can start ideating of how to solve it because usually you will end up with a much better solution than what they initially said they wanted. And I think that this is an area where, where empathy and being able to put yourself into the shoes of someone else can be really helpful. Overseeing that what they're saying might not be actually uh, what they need. Um, uh, you, you need to drill deeper and understand the deep causes of it. So user research, for example, or client research is definitely an area where, where that empathetic skill can be really helpful. And we will talk about that during our design thinking uh, interview. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we will deep, uh, dig deeply into this uh, topic as well. Should I think we, we forgot the pandemic yeah. thing. Should I say that? <laughs> <laughs> yes. How, uh, how, how did the skills has changed through the pandemic, right? So the other question was the, the how did the skills change, the, the need of skills change through the pandemic? I think that the key thing is the remote, right? Um, we probably all experienced that working remotely uh, is a very different experience than working face-to-face. -face. Innovation is a very um, team-based play. So you, you have a lot of workshops, you have a lot of um, collaboration. We, with my team as well, we used to do a lot of whiteboarding uh, when, you, when you're just standing in front of a whiteboard and drawing up ideas and, and, and that uh, way together with the team you develop concepts and ideas. And, all, and that is not possible now. I think there is a much bigger emphasis these days on there are some um, like collaboration, but proactively reaching out to people um, and um, just having those coffees in the diaries uh, where, where you don't know what you're going to get out of it, but let's have a conversation about some problems and let's try to come up with stuff together because those um, random collisions on the corridor don't happen anymore. And, and a lot of the ideas come from these random 
random things and team team um, interactions and and there is less opportunity for that now so you need to consciously make the effort to organize those um, and the other thing that can help you is is online tools uh, for whiteboarding uh, we we in my team use a technology called mural uh, which is uh, which is practically a digital whiteboard uh, where everybody uh, for, through their own app can go on and, and throw on question, uh, capture ideas you can put digital sticky notes on um, and basically create that experience as if you would be standing in front of the same whiteboard in in, um, in a space and you need to use more and more of these unfortunately because um, because the the face-to-face -face opportunities are just uh, very rare <laughs> well that's so so cool because uh, you've like shared your experience and your advices on which tools to use and we definitely would um, provide with uh, the links and some other materials to mirror tool uh, for others to use thank you so much uh, yes, and uh, our last question was in re uh, regarding how we could encourage women to uh, to drive innovation and what could we advise. But you gave so so much a lot of advices for our women. But if you have uh, mm -hmm. anything else to add, probably books or articles or you know bloggers to uh, subscribe um anything that you could share more mm -hmm. i would if if you have ideas and if you feel like you want to create change i would what i where i would start is do the thinking first try to find out more about the the to make sure that you understand the company strategy where on the long term you're trying to head towards um do some market reading competition view but this is probably the area where you will be more comfortable anyway the, the next step to me uh, would be probably networking with technologists. So try to build a network in, even inside the firm or even through initiatives uh, like this one uh, with people who, who work in the technology and you can have conversations with them about some of the tech that you see being used in your particular markets or industries. Um, to understand it a little bit more. What does it do? How does it do it? Now, you don't need to understand the real technical detail, but the functionality of what, is, what does it do uh, will, will serve you um, uh, in applying it. So, so create that almost technology advisor group, informal friends um, uh, who, who can, you can reach out to if you have questions. Um, it can be really inspiring. And then the next step I would say is finding your sponsors. So inside your company, try to map out um, who are the people who own the budget. Um, so who will need um, to approve if you want to initiate something, but also who are the people who have the power to convince those people and who believe in you. In any company, you, you will always find people who are just naturally more strategic thinkers, more visionaries, um, who like to uh, listen to um, people with, with ideas. So you need to find those um, and, and build a connection uh, with them as well. And, and these will be the people who you will be pitching your ideas first to. Um, and then they can give you the introduction to those who own the budget because these people are not always the same people. The, the, the people with the budget are not always the most visionary, but that's not a problem. Uh, <laughs> you can find your way, way uh, 
through there. Then the, the key is also to nail how you pitch it. So you need to think with your audience's head. So if you're uh, pitching your high ex to high executives, you probably want to focus on financial impact um, and how it ties into the strategy. So you need to build a business case. Here, it's easy to get scared because nobody sees the future, right? So there's always a risk in, did I get those numbers right? Did I not get those numbers right? Don't worry, nobody does. Um, and there are just people who are naturally much bolder and they don't mind, they just say big numbers because they feel they are right. I find uh, that my female colleagues, including myself, tend to be a bit more cautious um, at times and a bit more scared of saying big numbers if you're not 200% sure about them. I think this is a fear that, um, uh, that we probably need to step over a little bit. Um, and just just be a bit bolder. You don't need to over-exaggerate or, or lie or anything like that, but just be comfortable that there is always um, uh, a risk there um, and, and you need to make your do, do your due diligence, uh, but then once you arrest a number, then, then you can stand behind it. And what helps here is also start small and then scale from there. Don't go for pitching for a huge department uh, that you're going to build and it has 100 developers and, um, and, and, uh, um, and a huge budget. Try to find an area where, where you think you can quickly, uh, for example, automate something. Uh, you can confidently measure how much cost cutting that will make, um, what is the ROI, um, and say you can deliver it in a few months. And uh, once you have done that, uh, if it is successful, then suddenly you will find that that will open doors for bigger and bigger investments. So, so start small, prove it, prove it quickly, and then move on from there. Um, uh, that would be my advice. Excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, at least when you are able to sell it inside the corporation, Mm. Then you will be very successful in selling customers. So thank you so much. Uh, it was a great, great pleasure talking to you and uh, getting this information. And um, we are very much, we are even more than satisfied with this interview because that gives us a full answer to our question how to get uh, prepared uh, for building innovation strategy how to build this strategy and with whom to work and how to work and how to and the, like how to focus on very important uh, right. things in in this process thank you so much